Because God initiates trials, you must uphold the glory of God during your trial. Because God initiates trials, you must uphold his glory during your trial. You see, Job was suffering, but his suffering was not his fault. How can I say that? He was a man of impeccable character. We are told this in uh, the first verses of chapter 1. He is a man that was so concerned for his children that he used to pray and fast for them just in case one of them had sinned. That's the kind of father he was. Furthermore, God also claimed responsibility for what had happened to Job. All this calamity that had fallen upon him, if you look at chapter 2 and verse 3, God says, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason or without cause. So God claimed responsibility for what happened to him. Job's suffering was not his fault. You see, we need to understand four categories of suffering. This is not persecution. Persecution is undeserved suffering that comes at the hands of other people. This is not punishment, which is deserved from other people. This is not chastisement, which is deserved from God. This is affliction, which is baffling. It does not make sense to us that God would, would, without perceivable reason, cause damage to our well-being. We do not understand why he is doing this to us, and because we cannot see a reason, even though we search high and low for it, does that mean that there is none? If there is a reason for what we are going through, why don't we know it? Why doesn't God simply tell us why he is putting us through this heartache? Now, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I know that there are financial challenges. There are family challenges. There are challenges at work. And there are things that happen to us as Christians that make us wonder sometimes, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be a Christian if I suffer just like everybody else? See, Job's suffering was not his fault, but his response was remarkable. Look at uh, chapter, chapter 1, look at verses 20 to 22. After all of this calamity has befallen his family, his household, the word of God says that Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and did what? Worship. This is absolutely unreal. So what's Job's answer to what he is going through? Worship. Right thinking about God brings about right behavior. Right theology brings about right worship. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord what? Has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that unreal? Is that unreal to praise God when everything is going wrong? <laughs> I had an experience. This is light compared to what people go through. I was studying in seminary and 
Uh, and this semester was taking uh, a whole bunch of courses. And coming on to the end of the semester, when you have to turn in all your projects, my hard drive died. All my work for the semester gone, which is ironic because I work at IT and I should have been backing up my files, but even my backups weren't working. I go to my professor and I explain the situation. He says, well, son, you have, I'll give you a couple of days to turn in that stuff. But I remember standing at the window in my dorm room and I said, the Lord has taken away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I had to do over all those assignments. But that's light compared to what people go through, right? That's light affliction, really, right? And that's probably my fault anyway, right? But this, remember, this is not Job's fault at all, okay? So, that's the first part. Recognize then that because the Lord initiates trials, we must uphold the glory of God within our trial. Our second point is this, that the Lord will also allow people to comment on your trials. God will allow it. You know that when something happens, people, boy, people only see you when you're dirty. Huh? All right? People say, oh, that's a wonderful clean shirt that you have on today for Sunday. You know? They say, oh, you got a spot on your shirt. You got a spot on your tongue. That's when people start talking. People start talking when something is wrong. And when something goes wrong in your life, that's when people start commenting. You ever see the comment section on, 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 on an article on Nation News? I don't recommend reading it. Don't read the comment section, guys. People always have something to say. And the thing about it is that God will allow it. God will give people a chance to comment. So because God allows that, you must uphold the glory even in that time. His glory even in that time. So Job's three friends come on the scene. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and all of them, they have opinions. They have theories. They have advice for Job during this time of Suffering and, and Job is lamenting. Job is saying he, he wishes that he wasn't even born. And you know what Eliphaz replies and says in chapter 4? This kind of thing only happens to sinners. Job responds to him. He said he asks in chapter 7, verse 20. We're gonna be moving pretty quickly, okay? So if you have your text, make sure you're moving through. Job asks the question: really, really, is it the case that I have sinned? And we know from the text that he hasn't. In Job 1, 1, Job 1, 8, and 2, 3, God says, this is not his fault. No, he hasn't sinned. Yet they persist. This is Bildad now. Bildad comes in in chapter 8, verses 11 to 12, and says, uh, well, Job, you know, these things don't just happen for no reason. You see, they, they, these friends come in and they offer three cycles of speech. The first cycle, each cycle is worse than the one before it. The first cycle is implication. So they go, they, they go speak to him because remember, they started off really well. They were quite, they sat in silence. Remember that? I'm hoping that you know the story because they can't do all of it, right? This, they came, visited Job, they sat in silence for a little while. And then, after Job's lament, they offered their advice. And the first one, the first cycle is implication. The second is insinuation. And the third is accusation. Each one worse than the one before. So, Job responds to, to Bildad telling him, these things don't just happen for no reason. There must be a reason, Job. He must have done something. And Job's point of view is that, listen, Job, Job just wants some sort of resolution to this problem. To this suffering that he's going through. He wants it to come to an end. He wants an explanation. 
or he wants an execution. God, just go ahead and end my life. He wants an explanation or an execution, but definitely not an extension. God, don't let this thing go on any longer, please. Isn't that how we are sometimes, too, right? We just want it to end, right? This battle that we're going through, it might be a health problem, it might be a financial challenge. We just want to come to an end, but God has something greater in mind. Why is it that when we cry out, sometimes God is or seems to be silent? Because there's a test that he's putting us through. That Pastor John read earlier. It's a test, it's a trial of your faith that's supposed to produce something. So he's not going to take that pressure off just yet because he wants you to learn something first. These guys are really something else. So Zophar, he's the youngest of the three. And I don't know if you can blame his youth for this, but Zophar's view is that, Job, you know what? You are getting off easy. Really? Listen, you, we, we think that this kind of thing is unbelievable, you know, but I imagine this like a WhatsApp group chat. Hmm? Job has added Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar to the conversation. <laughs> And these guys are... And so far, he says, look, you're getting off easy. I mean, the man has lost all his family, his wife and children, his possessions. And so far, view is that, you know, God could have really done worse to you, you know. But you're laughing, but I wonder what kind of advice we give people when they're suffering. When we think that we are so profound and we are so deep in understanding God's ways and God's mind, we come off sounding like this. Beloved, be mindful. So, Job then picks up on something very interesting in chapter 12, uh, in chapter 13. All right, chapter 30, verse 9, he says, Will it be well with you when he searches you out? This is his response. Will it be well with you when God searches you out, or can you deceive him as uh, one who deceives man or fools people? And that's translation says. See, Job picks up on something. He's on to something regarding his friends. There is something seemingly insecure and sincere sorry about how they have chosen to be on God's side of this issue of suffering they fear the truth they fear the truth if Job is right that he has done nothing to deserve this what is to stop God from also bringing such challenging circumstances to their doorstep in their lives as well therefore their view must be you must have done something to deserve this it cannot be that God will bring calamity in my life for no reason. And so they hold to their position. So be wise, beloved, when it comes to receiving advice. There are some people who are only interested in serving their own agenda and will advise you along the same lines that they have chosen. Job then gets exasperated with them. He says that uh, there's not one wise among you. <laughs> So talks start to break down. You know, you were, were you following the, uh, the, the, the back and forth between uh, the President of the United States and, and Kim Jong-un uh, a couple of years ago, right? So we're having these talks, and then the talks break down into name-calling. I remember that? Not going to call them using names, but not really, not really bad names, but, but, the, but the, the, talk, the negotiation is breaking down. <laughs> and that's what's happening here in this WhatsApp group chat. The, the, the debate is breaking down and it's moving from implication to insinuation. Can you be sure that you know God, Job? Are, are, are you sure that God is for you after all? 
Look at what he is letting you go through. Does he, does he really love you? This is what they are insinuating. Job again defends himself, but I want you to know something very interesting uh, in uh, chapter 17, verse 9. Job asserts his righteousness, is where he told you that I cannot find a wise man among you. And so he, 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 he in a sense, starts to insult them. If there's not a wise man among you, then you're all what? You're all fools. <laughs> So be careful that when you are going through intense suffering that there isn't an inappropriate response. So be careful, right? Because when that pressure is on me, I say things that I wouldn't normally walk. I wouldn't normally say that. When, when, when pressure is on me, and I'm really suffering, I, I, I do things I wouldn't normally But this is what seems to be happening to Job as well. But this self-focus, be careful of this self-focus. Um, a couple years back when the hurricanes hit, I just got back from a youth conference in Anguilla and um, I was just reminded of the devastation that was caused by the hurricanes. Um, I remember that there was intense damage also in St. Martin and it's amazing to see the recovery, guys. It's amazing to see them be restored like that. But I was, rem- I was remembering that there was a lot of looting at the time. All right, people were going in. So what's happening? So we have this pressure situation. I know I'm going to do something that I wouldn't normally do. I want to break into the store and take what I want. So Job started to succumb to his self-focus. I am going through all of this. And he starts to speak as though everything is all about him. Be careful that when you're going through intense suffering that you do not forget God. To be ungodly, folks, simply means to leave God out of the equation. To be ungodly just means to leave God out of the equation. To be ungodly is to wake up and to get ready for work or school and spend all day pursuing your plans, return home, eat, watch TV, consume social media, sleep, eat, and repeat with no reference or intentional involvement of God in your life. That is ungodliness. And so Job is involving himself in a kind of borderline incipient ungodliness because he is so self-focused, he is leaving God out of the equation. I have not done anything wrong. And if it is a matter, as y'all are saying, it is between God and I, I know that I am right. If somebody is wrong here, I know I am right. So what is he saying? God will God be unjust then. And so we see where Job himself is also going down. So implication goes to insinuation and then it goes to accusation where they tell him. They say, you have done wrong to people all your life and that's why you're doing this in chapter 22. Eliphaz says to Job. And Job takes all of those things that are thrown at him and none of them stick. And he responds to each one in chapter 31. In 31, he takes every area of accusation and he defends himself. I have been just morally, financially, marriage-wise, in terms of treating people uh, properly, in being generous, verses 16 to 23 of, of chapter 31, in being uh, not attached to riches, right, verses 24 to 28 of the same chapter 31. 
of having relational sympathy, of, of, of communal hospitality, opening up my home for people to verses 31 to 32. But then he comes to verses uh, 33 to 37, where he argues for his personal integrity. And this is where Job goes overboard. This is where Job says, you know what I would do? I am so innocent, verse 36, I would carry it on my shoulder and I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps and like a prince, I would approach him. Job is so sure that he's right, that he's willing to take it to the public domain and he is at court and he's waiting for God to come in. The implication is severe and intense. And then we have a strange number that was added to the chat. All of a sudden, we see this person, Elihu, in chapter 32. And it seems as though he's been sitting there since chapter 9. He just came into the conversation and just sat down. In fact, we understand why he did, because he said he was giving the older ones a time to speak, because he's younger than all of them. And Elihu comes in and he offers the corrective that Job needs. Now, there are four cycles of his speech. We can't do all of those. But he reminds Job of some important truths. First one is this. God is sovereign. God is sovereign and unaccountable to you and has his own methods and purposes. That's in chapter 33, uh, verses 12 to 33. God is sovereign and he's not accountable to you. God does not answer to you. Here's a second thing, second rebuttal that Elihu offers to Job. God is unfailingly just and can never pervert justice. God is unfailingly just and can never pervert justice. This is the young, the young the, a, a little one shall lead them. Right. right. So he's, he's, he's schooling these older gentlemen on how they should have been responding to Job. Three, God's righteousness is unaffected by human actions and accusations. God's righteousness is unaffected by human actions and accusations. That's in chapter 35. So it doesn't matter what you think, God is just. And so it is the fourth speech now that we can focus on in chapters 36 to 37. Where Elihu takes care to ascribe righteousness to God. You see, Job's reaction to God's dealings puts him in danger of being judged just like the wicked would be judged. Because the way Job has now devolved now, he's sounding like an unrighteous person. He's sounding like he's saying the things that the world would say. God doesn't care about us. So the difference between the inwardly righteous and the impious at heart is whether, is whether they cry out not just to God, but cry out for God in their affliction. Do you want the relief? Do you want the comfort or do you want the comforter? I just want to get out of this. I don't care how. I just want to be done with this. And God wants you to want himself. See, Elijah's view is that the suffering may not have been drawn out for such a long time. Verse, uh, chapter 36, verse 16. If 
Job had not been so caught up in defending himself. This would not have gone on so long in Elihu's view if Job had acknowledged the sovereignty of God and stuck to it. You know, the longer you take to do the right thing, the worse the situation becomes. The longer you take to do what you know is right, the worse it gets. So Elijah's warning to Job was to be careful. Be careful that you don't end up actually sounding like a wicked person. Be careful how you question God's ways. And so something is happening now as Elihu is speaking. And as I, was, as I was driving to church this morning, I was like, whoa. Because as Elihu is, is offering this corrective to, to all these poor counselors, a storm is coming. A storm is building. Literally around them, the sky darkens and clouds roll in. The thunder crashes, the lightning flashes, and it actually jumps Elihu, and he makes reference to it in chapter 37. He says, at this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. A storm is coming. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice, verse 2, chapter 37, and the rumbling that comes from his Mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and is lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars. He thunders with majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. You see, after everybody offers their opinion. Remember the Lord initiated the suffering and then he allowed all these persons to comment on it. And then he will speak. It is about time that we heard then from God. And so we see in verse 23, the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. Still in chapter 37, yes? Justice and abundant righteousness, he will not violate. So this storm is rolling in. The thunder is clapping. The lightning is flashing. And Mishpat and Sadiq are rolling in. Justice and righteousness are coming. God is going to set the record straight. Here's the thing, folks. Be careful, little lips, what you say or speak. Because we have to be mindful that after you said all you said, will it hold up to divine scrutiny? All of your opinions, all of your thoughts, all of your advice, what does God think about it? What does God think about it? We would know then that whatever he says settles it, right? Yes? See, we have a view, but then when God says it's not so, then what? So God comes on the scene. Everybody has had their say, it's time to hear from the Lord. So God, Job, Job still wonders where did he go wrong? And then we find in chapter 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Not out of a whirlwind, out of the whirlwind, the same 
weather system. God was there all the time. God could hear them all the time, but he reveals himself now in this way. I'm here now. And he asks, boy, let me tell you, this gives me chills still. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Boy, I find that people do a lot of talking. Hmm? And I, listen, sometimes I just, I, I, I wish God, boy, wouldn't it be something if God showed up like this? <laughs> oh, man. God asks, who is this that darkens counsel? You see, so Job, Job is not rebuked for asking why. Those are natural questions. Why, why is this happening to me? And so on and so on. He is rebuked for an honest question that has soured into complaint that is laced with insinuation. God reprimands Job for sins of speech and attitude subsequent to his sufferings. Where did Job go wrong for speech and attitude sin? That wrongly reflected the character of God after his suffering started. You see, folks, we are held accountable for when we're in hot water. You know, when we're in hot water, if you put a tea bag in a hot tea cup, what happens? What's in the tea bag comes out in the cup. And so God puts us in those pressure situations. We get put in hot water. And guess what? What's inside? That's what's really what's going on inside. Now we see. And God did that within the crucible of your suffering, of your challenge. So just a little pressure with a, a bill that's coming a little bit higher than normal. <laughs> and now you're like, I ain't sure about tithing anymore, but I don't know. Not really sure about tithing this month. Right? Boy, I don't know. It's a little pressure, and then you see what comes out. So God does that so that we can work on ourselves. So God puts Job in his place. He asks him very simple questions. What do you know about science? <laughs> what do you know about cosmology and geology and oceanography and hydrology and meteorology? Job is dumbfounded. He knows nothing. I don't know these things. All right, He says... He probes Job's antiquity. Job, were you there? No. He says, Job, uh, uh, do you know? No. Have you, have you seen? Have you experienced? What, 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 what about your power, Job? Can you do this? Can you do that? And again, I can only summarize, but boy, if you could get a chance to read this, this is when God speaks. There's something about that when you read that as a Christian. And, and you, we, we, we feel as though we are being humbled with Job. Because we think we know and we don't know, folks. Questions him. Do you know to take care of the animals and sparrows and so on and so on? How can you do calculus 3? Before you learn to count. So Job, since you fail at the basic level of understanding, how will you grasp more complex issues? The basic level. These are basics for me, Job. How can, I, how can you understand complexities? 
You can't. And so there must be things that are left to me. So, Job presumed that he had sufficient knowledge and facts to bring God's ways and character into question. He didn't. There were things that he was missing. So then we come to the last chapter, chapter 42, where Job now has been corrected by God, instructed by his voice. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know now. (laughs) I know. See, somewhere along the line in his suffering and in our suffering, we forget. Somewhere along the line in the milieu of life, in the business of the day-to-day, we forget that we serve a God who can what? Do all things. Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. (laughs) I have heard, listen, this is a deepening of experience, right? I heard about you, God. But now what? But now my eyes see you. It's a difference. You see, when we go through intense suffering like this, affliction that God brings upon us through no fault of our own, but because of his great grand purposes, then we see God better. Praise God for that, man. God, help me to see you better. Then we get a right view of ourselves. Therefore, what? I despise myself and I do what? When we get a right view of God, we see ourselves as we should and we repent. In the holiness of God's presence, we see ourselves as dust and ashes. God is holy. God is mindful to also deal with his friends, though. So the people who said stuff don't get away with it. Right? The Lord rebukes Job's and his friend, Job's friends in verses 7 and onward. But notice that throughout this entire thing, look at verse 8. Uh... Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourself and my servant Job shall pray for you. What? So these people that had all the things to say about Job, how has God orchestrated that they will come to know God better? They have to go back to him now. They have to go to Job and Job is to do what for them? Pray for them. See when you go through suffering, people like to see you down. And God may so orchestrate it that the way out of that suffering, nothing will happen until you learn to pray for your enemies. And God may keep you there. In fact, we see that Job's restoration does not come until he does that, right? Verse 10, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. You see the grand design and purposes of God? God wants to do something in Job's life. And so we know the awesome end to this story is that Job was restored uh, times over in terms of his possessions and his family. 
and he lived and he died an old man full of days. Now, for many in this life, uh, this may not be the ending that you see this side of heaven. But we must learn, and you must learn, to trust God nonetheless. You see, Job prefigures the reconciling role of Jesus Christ. The one who was spat upon <laughs> became the savior of those who spat upon him. Just as Job was the one who prayed for them, the ones who were accusing him. Jesus is the one who, of course, makes intercession for transgressors. So restoration comes. God is the one who started this, remember? God is the one who brought up Job's name in the first place. Have you considered my servant Job? So God is the one who starts it, and God is the one who finishes it. God's action, then, in bringing Job through this is as deliberate as bruising his own son. Isaiah 53 and, and onward. So this book then is an important encouragement to any Christian who is suffering. And for those who are counseling those who are suffering as well. It is also an important book for messianic reasons because it shows us how it is possible for the righteous one to suffer. Jesus. Because there's a category in God's operation called affliction. And so God the Father afflicted his son Christ Jesus, who bore in himself all of our sin. So, Christ's suffering was greater than Job's, though. Yes? Job felt forsaken, but we know from the text that God was there, and but Jesus Christ was forsaken for you and for me. How did Christ respond to his suffering then? How did Christ respond? He maintained his trust in God. Psalm 22 tells us that. That is how Job eventually responded and how we must respond in our suffering. We must maintain our trust in God when we do suffer. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Job remarked in this book that he wished his words were written down. He didn't know, but they were. And he said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last day he will stand upon the earth. And so for us, as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that his purposes are sure. That we know that whatever we go through, we may feel as though we are dying. We know that our Redeemer lives.